Tonight we're going to talk about dreams and visions, part three. This is interpreting dreams and visions, helpful hints, biblical hints. And we also have a live audience. Say hello, everybody. And so we're going to have some fun tonight. The last two weeks, we've talked about dreams and visions. We talked about the seven different purpose, primary purposes for dreams and visions. So if you want to go back and look or listen on an audio podcast or Vimeo or YouTube or Facebook Live or one of the other platforms that we are currently on, please, we encourage you to do so. I also have a book called Dreams and Visions on our website at virtualchurchmedia.com and also you can buy it on Amazon and Kindle or Softback. But let's get right into it because God is pouring out His Spirit on all flesh in the last days. Now we're more in the last days today than we were 2,000 years ago when Peter got up on the day of Pentecost when the power of God fell, the Spirit of God fell, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and began to speak with other tongues, known dialects, as the Spirit of God gave them utterance or ability. Every man heard him speaking in his own language. So Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and he says, guys, these people are not drunk as you might think. But this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2, verses 28, 29, 30, where God says in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my men servant and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Boom, Pentecost happens and the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 becomes manifest in Acts chapter 2. And Joel's bar is open. And they get filled with the Spirit. And they seem like drunk people to the religious folks. But to those that have ears to hear and eyes to see and are spiritually discerning, they begin to tune in and hear these unlearned and ignorant men, these people that didn't speak these other languages, they heard them declaring the wonderful works of, of God in their own language. So you see that the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit results in a couple of things. One, it results in empowerment to go do ministry. It results in sign gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy. It results in dreams and visions. The Philippine studies, it's very interesting. They did a study in the Philippines and those Christians that were not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. They're on their way to heaven, name in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're born again. They're loving Jesus. They lead about one person to Christ per capita. But when they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, they lead an average of 36 to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Why? Because they have the power of the Holy Spirit upon and within, and they have communication and the ability to hear the voice of God. There's a relationship enhancement that's available. One of the ways in which God speaks to communicate to us, he said, my sheep hear my voice, another they will not follow. Well, how are you going to follow him if you don't hear him? So God's gift to us is the ability for us to hear his voice. Instead of going to a prophet to hear his voice, you get to go directly to him. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There's not three mediators, five mediators, there's one. So if you have another mediator, you need to maybe consider getting back to the one mediator because there's not three or five or one or more. It's Jesus. Jesus is the mediator. He broke down the partition and he bridged the gap. When you go boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace in the time of need, you can go because of the blood of Yeshua. He made the way. You can go boldly before the throne of grace. If you work at a, at, a, at a job and it's 32 floors, you just don't go walking into the CEO's office boldly. You have to get an appointment, permission. But if you're the son of the CEO, you can go up to the 32nd floor you can walk in past the secretary and you can go boldly because you're a son of the CEO. Well, Christ is the CEO. Christ, 
he is the executive officer of heaven. And the good news is because you're a son or a daughter, you can come boldly right into the CEO's office to obtain mercy and grace in the time of need. You can get an appointment with him or you can come during an emergency, a 911 moment, and he's going to make time for you because he made time 2,000 years ago on the cross and was hung up for your hangups and mine. And that's the beauty of grace. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting something we don't deserve. I like to illustrate it this way. A person gets pulled over doing 70 and a 55. The uh, police officer says you were doing 70 and a 55. Here is a ticket for 15 over. There's justice. You got what you deserved. Letter of the law. Mercy is you're doing 70 and a 55. The police officer pulls you over and says, seem like a nice guy. Dangerous through here. There's a lot of accidents. Please don't speed in the future. I'm going to give you a warning. That's mercy. You don't get what you deserve. Grace is the officer pulls you over. You're doing a 70 and a 55. He says, there's a lot of accidents through here. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you not to speed again. I'm not going to give you a ticket. Instead, I'm going to give you $100. I want you to put some gas in your car, and I want you to take your wife out for lunch. So justice is getting what we deserve, 70 and a 55. We're 15 over. We get a ticket. Could be points on our license. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We get a warning. And grace is getting something we don't deserve. We don't get the ticket. Instead, we get $100 to put some gas in our car and money to take our wife out for lunch. Now, when you go by that location and you've had justice in your life, the letter of the law, and you are doing 60 and a 55, you remember you got a ticket doing 70. You don't want to get another ticket. You're not happy with the officer. You're not happy with the location. It's a bad experience. Every time you go through there, it's like a little trauma. There's a little rebellion. Well, maybe I can do 62, but I'm not going to do 70. You know, she, she really shouldn't. Have I'm just going to stay eight under. But when you get mercy and you go through there, you're like, you know, that officer gave me mercy. I, there's accidents through here. You know what? I'm going to respect that officer to protect and, you know, protect lives. I'm not going to be a person that's part of the problem. I'm going to be a person that's part of the solution. And so you slow down, not because you got a ticket. You slow down because you didn't get a ticket. And that's what mercy does. It causes you to comply to protect others for others' common good. But grace is a completely different thing. Grace is you're driving through there and you're on the phone with somebody on Bluetooth, hands-free, of course, obeying all state and federal laws. And you're on the phone with somebody and they say, what are you doing? I'm driving by this location where I got pulled over by an officer doing 70 and a 55. I was guilty. He could have given me a ticket, but he didn't. He gave me a warning and he told me there were people that had a lot of accidents through here. He gave me $100 and he said, go put gas in your car and take your wife out to lunch. What? Where's this location at? Yeah, this is why I don't speed through here. In fact, it so impacted my life, I'm now obeying traffic laws because I realize there's a reason for the laws. It's for the betterment and to protect other people. See, when you get justice, you're angry, you're rebellious, you got what you deserve. When you get mercy, you didn't get what you deserve. You, you start to come down. It's the goodness of God, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that leadeth men to repentance, not the judgments. People in the book of uh, Revelation, the hailstones are falling out of the sky. They're still shaking their angry fist in the face of God, and they're still not repenting. And so when you get grace, you don't know what he did for me. He saved me. He restored my marriage. He healed my body. I have peace when I said, I'm no longer angry. He delivered me from alcohol or drugs or pornography or adultery. He set me free. Why are you going to church? Let's go to the NFL game. No, I want to get into the presence with the brethren and, and the other. I want to get into the presence of God with my friends. I want to be in community. You don't want to go partying anymore? What's wrong with you? You don't know what he's done for me. I love him because he first loved 
me. There's a story about a woman, and we'll get into dreams and visions and interpretation, but I just feel like we need to follow this flow. Obviously, this is not in my notes. Most of what I preach is not in my notes. <laughs> um, so there's, there's, a, there's a woman, and she's, it's in the 1800s, and she's up for slave auction. And, and she's you know, a healthy, young, younger girl, you know, 23, and she's strong and, and fairly attractive. And so when the bidding comes up, the slave owners are bidding on her. And they want her probably for more than just slave work. You know, they want her for probably some not go, so good things. Not that slave work is good, but probably worse. And so there's a man in back as the bidding's going on. Finally, the bidding stops and he bids five times more than anybody else has bid for her right before the end of the bidding. And everybody stops and they look back at him. Like who would bid five times the amount? So he walks up, they bring her down, they hand him the rope, she's got the chain around her neck, and he says, come with me. And she spits in his face. And he looks at her, pulls out a handkerchief, he wipes off the spittle, puts it back in, takes her over to the table, he gets the paperwork, he pays the amount, and then he signs the papers, and he hands her the papers. They unleash her. They uncuff her. And he says, here, here's your emancipation papers. She says, I, I don't understand. He says, I bought you to set you free. She said, you, what, what? I bought you to set you free. You paid five times what anybody else had bid to set me free? He said, yes, I bought you to set you free. And she began to repeat, you bought me to set me free. And she's looking at the emancipation paper. And he says, as long as you have these papers, no one can ever enslave you again. And the overwhelming emotion filled her and she dropped to her knees. She looked at the paper and she said, you bought me to set me free. She says, I will serve you forever. And that's what salvation is. That's what grace is. He paid a heavy price for you and me on Calvary's tree to set us free. And this is why we want to serve him forever. One of the ways that God brings us into relationship and teaches us how to hear his voice is through dreams and visions of the night. It is his language of the night when deep sleep falls on men as we slumber in our beds and he opens our ears, seals our instructions, turns us from wrongdoing, shows us warnings of things to come, gives us instruction of what to do, shows us how to pray, how to navigate, gives us new ideas, witty inventions and dreams and visions and one of the things that he does is he gives us a dream or a vision of the night because he longs to fellowship with you and me. So he'll sneak in the middle of the night when we're knocked out, we don't have social media pinging us, no text messages coming in, the phone's not ringing, the vicissitudes of life aren't coming at us. And when we are knocked out, he sneaks in when nobody else is around and he gives us a dream when we sleep because he's inviting us into his presence. He's inviting us to come and ask him the interpretation of the dream or the riddle. God spoke to Moses. The Bible says this is very interesting. It says, if there be a prophet among you, in Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, this is the King James Version. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him, to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. It's not so with my servant Moses, who's faithful in all my house. I speak with him relationally. 
So when God, somebody speaks to you, it's one way. When somebody speaks with you, it's different. Relationship. I speak with Moses face to face, plainly, and not in dark sayings. He hears the voice of the Lord. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He wrote them because he heard God's voice, took dictation face to face, audibly, as a man speaks to his friend. When God speaks to us in a dream or a vision, it is often in dark sayings, or as the NIV translation states in riddles. To solve these riddles or to solve the mystery or to receive light or understanding into these dark sayings, we must seek God. It's an invitation when he visits in a, in a dream or a vision. It's an invitation for us to go have fellowship with him, to knock on the door, to come boldly before the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and grace in the time of need, that we might have interpretation and understanding. We must seek God by the Holy Spirit and his holy word, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth, the trusty 66 books of the Bible between those two fine Corinthian leather covers or now on a tablet or your phone, very convenient. We must seek him with his word to gain proper understanding of what it means. So Genesis 40 verse 8 says, don't all interpretations belong to God? Well, if they all belong to God, where do we have to go to get the interpretation back to God? God spoke to Pharaoh in dreams, but Pharaoh had no understanding and he didn't know God. So God sent Joseph to Pharaoh to interpret the dreams. And then he saved two nations in the Old Testament. So when God speaks with us as he did with Moses, for then God speaks plainly in an audible voice like a man speaks with his friend, you'll hear the audible voice of God. I've heard the audible voice of God on three occasions. And all three occasions were not for my entertainment. There was rough sailing ahead or there was really in some, some really challenging circumstances. So people say to me, oh, I wish God would speak to me audibly. Well, if you get into a situation, trust me, he will if it's needed. But I would encourage you to seek his face and hear the still small voice so you can avoid and traverse the situations before you so you're not in one of those tough situations. And might I say that the reason God spoke to me audibly is I got myself into a pretty bad situation. Jet Ride to Hell, Journey to Freedom, jetridebook.com. You can get it yourself. It tells the story about how my best thinking got me 22 years in federal prison stealing jet airplanes for the Colombian drug cartel and selling multi-kilogram quantities of cocaine. So that is why God spoke to me audibly. I was in a really bad spot and God used it as a tool to bring me out and to strengthen me for what I was going to have to go through because I did not get what is often referred to as a microwave miracle where you get in trouble, somebody prays for you, and 60 seconds later, ding, you're done. I was in the crock pot for 22 years where the flavor gets through and through. Okay, so the audible voice of God rarely occurs in most believers' lives. And when God does choose to communicate to us audibly, there's usually some rough sailing ahead. Or we are already in a very situa serious situation. And this is the only way God can get his communication across to save us, redeem us or help us navigate through. In most situations, God speaks to us through dreams, internal visions, visions of the night, the still small voice, quickenings of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures, or impressions or the like. This is far more common for most believers. Therefore, in the following section as I go into this, I wanna study interpreting symbols from dreams by the word of God and the Spirit. Number one, God desires our fellowship. One of the main reasons God speaks to us in dreams and visions is not only to give us direction and instruction, but to draw us into his presence for fellowship. He longs for fellowship with us. Think about this. The creator of heaven and earth, eight billion people on the planet, and he's gonna personally visit you in a dream of the night because he wants to draw you in privately for fellowship with him. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Instead of you trying to get an appointment with the CEO, he wants an appointment with you. He seeks and saves those who are lost. He leaves the 99 sheep and goes after the one. That's his mercy. 
That's his grace, his unmerited favor. God initiates fellowship by gracing us with dreams and visions. We in turn seek God for interpretation and receive interpretation and application while in fellowship with him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.10, it says, I have not seen nor heart conceived the things which God has prepared for those that love him. Scripture doesn't end there. I have not seen nor ear heard nor heart conceived the things which God has prepared for those that love him. Goes on to say, but he has revealed them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches the deep things of God. And if we walk in the spirit, we'll receive the deep things of the spirit. See, the gifts of the spirit are always moving. We're just not always in the spirit to move in them. Somebody will call me on the phone. They'll say, Brother David, Lord told me to call you. Do you have a word for me? I said, no, I do not have a word for you. And they said, well, the Lord told me to call you. I said, well, let's pray. Let's get in the spirit and let's see what the Lord has to say. And as we begin to pray, boom, all of a sudden, boom, we're in the spirit, very accurate word. They get blessed and the Lord was already speaking, but I wasn't in that realm to hear him. But you can stir up the gift that's within you through the laying on of your hands, the laying on of his hands. So if you don't have a word for the, for, for the Lord for somebody, just pray until you get one. You can store up the gift. But you also don't want to end up being somebody's pocket prophet where they got your phone number in their pocket and they call you to prophesy. Because then what happens is they're not relying upon the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. They're relying upon you to hear from God for them. And if people aren't willing to hear for God from God for themselves first, they're not going to do what you say when you do hear from God. Because God's already been speaking to them. They just didn't like what he said. So they're wanting a fresh word that's different than the word of the Lord. If you're not careful, you'll end up prophesying instead of prophesying. Okay. Understanding God's language of the night. There are many symbols God uses in communicating to us through dreams and visions. These include various symbols, biblically, representing the Holy Spirit. For example... The Holy Spirit is represented in Scripture as oil, the anointing oil, represented as water. Rivers of living water will flow from within you. Fire, tongues of fire came upon them. Wine, the new wine of the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine wherein there is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. A dove, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as a dove in bodily form. So there's many different symbols for the Holy Spirit. There's also symbols for the word of God. The word of God includes bread, the bread of life, the staff, a two-edged sword proceeding out of the mouth of God. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. And then you also see manna, symbolic of the word of God. So symbols for Jesus Christ include the rock. He's the rock of our salvation. He's the light, the chief cornerstone, the lamb, the king, the shepherd. <clears throat> the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit actually have 333 titles, names, and offices from the Old Testament to the New. So there's many different signs, symbols, and names that represent because he's multifaceted in his character and nature. So the Bible is, in effect, God's dictionary to assist us in decoding the riddles God speaks to us when he speaks to us in his language of dreams and visions of the night given by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you some things that as I was searching the Lord during my light 22-year sentence and I had a little bit of time on my hands as I studied the scriptures and wrote a number of books, I'm going to share with you what the Lord showed me. So here's a list of examples of symbols and their meanings from the Bible. Fruit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So fruit is symbolic of good works and productivity. Also Matthew 7.20, a tree is known by its fruit. Withered fruit, Jude 1.12, it's symbolic of people that are born again. They have fruit, but they didn't properly stay connected in the light of Christ or the water of the word. And so withered fruit, Jude 1.12, these are spots in your love feast feasting with you without fear, whose fruit withers without fruit, twice dead. 
So you've got fruit, which is symbolic of good works and productivity. Withered fruit is symbolic of backsliding or lost fellowship with God. Locusts and grasshoppers, Joel 1.4, these are symbolic of destruction, a demonic attack. So God wants to restore to us the years that the cankerworm, the locust, the palmer worm, and the caterpillar have eaten in our life and give us double for our trouble. Locusts and grasshoppers also are symbolic in Joel 2.25 of God's judgment for sin. So when locusts come through your crops and eat everything up and wipe it out, that's not the blessing of the Lord. That's a demonic attack or destruction or it's judgment. And people say, well, God did that. No, sometimes it's not God's judgment. It's an attack from the enemy. And being able to discern with the anointing of the sons of Issachar to know the times and the seasons of what Israel ought to do, being able to discern or distinguish whether this is God's judgment or it's a demonic attack changes things dramatically. Because if you think it's God's judgment, how are you going to fight against God? But if you think it's a demonic attack, you're going to stand with God. You're going to submit to God and resist the devil and claim double for your trouble and sevenfold on everything that's been stolen from you. But if you think you're under... So the devil's, the devil's greatest tool is to cause you to think the nature of the devil is really the nature of God. Remember, God is a God that it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, not the judgments. So if the devil can get you tricked into thinking that it's God's judgment on your life and you attribute the works of the devil unto God, he has you. And the religious spirit would like for you to re, uh, attribute the works of God unto the devil. Oh, these miracles are done by Beelzebub. Casting out demons is done by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Healing the sick is done by Beelzebub, the prince of... Oh, the devil's a trickster. Well, guess what? If what, Yeah, this is a funny story. There was a guy who came into our service uh, years ago. What is this? Probably six, seven years ago. Joanna and I were out in California, and we just started a Bible study. We were at a church, and this uh, gentleman, he was uh, number three in charge at a very large denomination out in Southern California, very famous. I'm not going to name it. And they were born in the fires of Pentecost, but somehow they lost that Pentecostal power and they became, you know, more conservative and they didn't want the gifts of the Spirit in operation, so they stilled that. And the next thing you know, they became, you know, what could affectionately be known as the, the, the first church of the frozen chosen with some six-foot icicle that would get behind the pulpit and preach the pablum of men that wouldn't go past, you know, the third row. And, and uh, you know, but they had a pretty good show, you know, and choir and everything. So the point was this. This man was third in command at this denomination that actually isn't just in California, it's global. And they did a lot of really good work. But when it came to the power of God, they didn't believe in it anymore. They didn't believe God healed anymore. I guess he fell off his throne. You know, but remember, the gifts of the Spirit operate by faith. So people say, well, I don't believe that. I'm like, well, that's your faith has got you what you believe. And so the gifts of the Spirit operate by faith and faith worketh by love. So you got to have faith and love. So here's what happened. Comes into a service, Joanna and I are ministering. She's at the piano. And I get a word of knowledge that I'm supposed to pray for this guy. So I call him out. Don't know who he is. And I call him up. I said, well, sir, would you come up? And his wife like bumps him and he comes up. And the Lord says, ask him about his hearing. And I said, what's going on with your hearing? And he said, huh? <laughs> and the wife looked at me. She said, he's 100% deaf in one ear and 85% in the other ear. And there's nothing they can do. No surgery will help him and no hearing aid will help. And I said, oh, I said, can I pray for you? And he said, now, I didn't know he's third in command at this big denomination at the First Church of the Frozen Chosen that are cessationists. They think the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. And they actually preach against healing in his denomination. And so I said, can I put my fingers in your ears? You always want to ask permission. So he said, yeah, go ahead. Like, he, like the wife's going to get it for this when they get home. She dragged him to this service. Now some guy's putting fingers in his ears. And so I can see he's just going through the motions because he can't wait to get out of this service. So I put my fingers in his ears and the power guard starts flowing and I feel a demon of deafness in his ears. 
And so as I do, I command anvil, stirrup, and hammer to be recreated under the sound of my voice in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I say, you spirit of deafness, in Jesus' name, I command you to come out. And I pulled my fingers out, and as I did, and I'll describe what happens. When there's a demon in there and the anointing is flowing through you, it's like two magnets repelling one another, and one will drive the other out. And sometimes, you know, that anointing is real strong, so that demon gets very uncomfortable in the ear, spirit of infirmity. About 25 to 30% of the, the healings that are done in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, deal with an evil spirit. So if you're in the healing ministry, you're going to deal with evil spirits. If you don't want to deal with evil spirits, you know, just you grow into heaven, John 3, 16, Acts 2, 4, no more. If that's your thing, that's great. You're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. But I encourage you, instead of winning one to Christ, why don't you win 36? Why don't you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, receive the power, and bring souls to Jesus so he can have the just recompense of the reward of the great work that he did on the cross for you. We love him because he first loved us. He paid five times more the number of grace than anybody else would pay for you. And infinitely more, he paid with his life on the tree. So I felt that anointing and he was like, mm, like he could feel the war going on. He felt something going with my fingers, which is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You can't manufacture the anointing. You can't like rattle your fingers. You know, some people try to do that. They push people down. You know, we don't push people down. If you fall down, if you shake, you rattle, you roll. That's great if it's God. If it's not, we don't want you to shake, rattle, or roll. We don't push people down. We don't want courtesy drops. But if it's God, people are going to know it. They're going to have an encounter with the living, living Savior. So as I pull my fingers out, those demons came out. I felt them go flying. And he shook his head. And he said, sounded like a freight train went through my ears. <laughs> and I said, can you hear me? He goes, yeah, I can hear you. And his wife's looking. And we have this on video, actually. It wasn't planned. We were videotaping for something else. Anyway, long story short, snapping the fingers, he's completely healed. And he looks at me, and his eyes are big, saucer-wide. He goes back, and the whole time, the wife during the service is like whispering, I can hear you, right? You know? And so I've actually seen people get healed. And don't tell my wife I, I can hear. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. This stuff happens. You know, I'm like, okay, I'll leave it between you and her, you know? You know, some guy goes home, he gets healed. He hears everything and writes them all out of the will. <laughs> you know, here's what they really think about him. But um, so he, after the service, he came up. He was completely healed. And I said to him, I said, I have a word for you. I said, give me your hands. Put him out. I slapped his hands. I said, God's given you a healing ministry. And I said, I hate to say this, but you're going to go back to your church, the Lord is telling me. You're going to go back to your church where they cheer you when you walk in. I said, and you're going to tell them what God's done for you, and they're going to say the devil healed you. They're going to say Beals above. They're going to say, they're going to, give, they're going to blasphemy the Holy Ghost. They're going to attribute the works of God, what God's done for you today. They're going to attribute it to Satan because they don't have this power in their church. And they would rather have religion than the relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit power. And I said, they're going to give you the left foot of fellowship out of the denomination where you sit on the board. And sure enough, he got back, he testified, and they accused it, and you know, he got the left foot of fellowship out. And he asked them one day, he says, I don't understand. He says, it's been a month. He says, if the devil's the one that healed me, why am I in the Bible like I've never been before? Why am I spending time in prayer in the presence of God like I've never done before? Why do I suddenly have the fruit of the Spirit like I've never had before? Why am I inviting people over for Bible study like I never had before? Why is it I'm evangelizing everywhere I go and I'm praying for people like I've never done before? He says, if that's the devil... I want him because the Jesus in your church never gave me that desire. He says, or is it possible that I actually found the real Jesus? And I was number three on the board in this big church and I never met him. Wow. Signs and symbols. So we're talking about the different ways in which God speaks in dreams and visions. And we're talking about signs and symbols. I'm looking for my notes here. So 
what happens is you've got different biblical symbols. And so you've got the word of God, which is symbolic of a staff or bread or the sword of the spirit. You've got spots in your love feasts. They mean unclean spirits or false brethren. Wrinkles, Ephesians 5.27, imperfection of believers. He's looking for a bride, a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Then you've got sheep, Matthew 25, 33, and 34. Sheep are symbolic of the righteous and obedient. Goats, in Matthew 25, 33 to 41, their goats are symbolic of the unrighteous or the disobedient. To the sheep, come to the right. To the goats, come to the left. This is not a political statement on left or right. I'm just telling you how it is in the scriptures. Okay, so the light, 1 John 1, 5. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. So fellowship with God and truth is symbolic of the light. 1 John 1, 6. If we remain in the dark, we have no fellowship with him. So the light is symbolic of the truth and Jesus in fellowship. The dark is symbolic of no fellowship and lying. If we don't walk in the light, we lie against the truth, the Bible says. Chains, Psalm 68, 6, they're symbolic of bondage and suffering. Broken chains, Acts 12, 7, symbolic of liberty and freedom. The narrow gate is the way of righteousness, Matthew 7, 14 and Luke 13, 24. The wide road, Matthew 7, 13, is the way of destruction. So you've got a narrow road is symbolic of righteousness. A wide road is symbolic of... So when you have dreams and you're on this wide road, it may seem liberating. But you're like, wait a second, what's the Bible say about this? And then right side on track with God, heaven, left side off track with God, wrong path and hell. Fat animals and good crops, Genesis 41, 26, prosperity and blessings of God. Lean animals, poor crops, Genesis 41, 27, famine and judgment of God. Scarlet red, Psalms 118, sin and transgression. Snow white, so Isaiah 118, righteousness and holiness. Though your sins be as red as scarlet, they will be white as snow because of the, the cross of Calvary. Fire, Acts 2, 3, and 4, gifts and anointing of the Holy Spirit. The cloud, 2 Chronicles 5, 14, the manifest presence of God. Oil, James 5, 14, divine healing. Water, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because those are biblical signs and symbols that are easy to see. But what about symbols with more than one meaning? For example, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Revelation 5.5, Jesus. But wait a second, there's the devouring lion, 1 Peter 5.8, the devil. What about the serpent, good or bad? Genesis 3, 1 through 13, Satan, death, Luke 10, 17, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Serpent, John 3, 14 and Numbers 21, 9. Jesus says, even as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness and people were healed, so will the son of man be lifted up. Jesus is comparing himself to the serpent that was lifted up to bring healing. If you look on the medical signs, they have a serpent wrapped around a pole. It's symbolic of Jesus on the cross. It's symbolic of numbers lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. Interesting, isn't it? So of course, you know, the enemy loves to hijack our signs and misuse them and relabel them and re reinterpret them. Wine, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Acts chapter 2, Ephesians 5.18. The Holy Spirit and life. You know, I just saw a friend of mine posted on Facebook. He you know, went after this issue of, of alcohol and stuff. And, and the church that he, he's over is a church where people come out of drug addiction and prostitution and, and uh, alcohol abuse and violence and this and that. So his message, preaching, is, is an accurate word for, for that congregation. But it's not a complete word because the Bible talks about it being symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' first miracle was not water to grape juice. It wasn't. Just keeping it real. But all things in moderation. 
and Deuteronomy 14.26 says take part of the tithe money once a year and spend the tithe money. This isn't good for most pastors to hear this because they don't want their congregation to hear it, but I'm just quoting the Bible, right? And so once a year you take part of the tithe money instead of giving it to the church, you actually keep it and you go out with other believers and you take the tithe and you throw a big party and you eat and drink oxen, cat, whatever you want to eat and drink, wine or fermented drink. Deuteronomy 14.26, but you do it in the presence of the Lord where you're in a safe environment. And what happens is when people have a legalistic gospel in this category, I might be getting myself in trouble on this subject, but it is in the Bible. And, but, and I'm not endorsing one thing or another. You know, I, I'm not saying you should drink. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying if you do it biblically, you're in a safe zone. But here's what happens when you become legalistic and you say, touch not, taste not. What happens is the person never experiences the fullness of the blessing of God in the presence of the Lord. So they'll sneak out into the bar and then they get in trouble mm -hmm. or they sneak out and they do it in a car. Then they get in trouble. Now, there was a, a girl who she, I think was 15 years old. And she went to, I think, France and she was a Christian and uh, she was with, you know, high school group. And and so wherever they were at, it was they put wine out. And so she like drank three glasses of wine. She never drank in her life, but she was a spirit filled young believer and she had had encounters with the Lord. And so, you know, she was in a safe environment at that point, but she wasn't with, you know, believers per se. It was a secular, but they safely got her up. They got her to her hotel room and she woke up the next morning. You wonder what she said? She says, that's it. You mean that's it? She says, that, that was it? She says, I have better encounters with God. I've been drunk in the Holy Spirit before. Is that what the world is chasing after? She says, I don't have a desire ever to drink again. The point of the matter is when we introduce people to the wine of the Holy Spirit, the real thing, they won't need the earthly one. Anyway, continuing on. Wine is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It's also symbolic of drunkenness and death. So blood, is that good or bad? Well, Revelation 14, 19 says it's the judgment of God. Well, 1 John 1, 7 says it's God's forgiveness. So do you want God's forgiveness as your blood or do you want God's judgment, symbolic of the blood? Fear, Romans 8, 15. Bondage to evil. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. But the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. Angel of light. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And then Jesus is the light of the world. A sword can represent the sword of the spirit, destroying of the devil's works, war, warfare, cutting away of false doctrines, the word of God, etc. It could also mean that God's judgment is falling on the enemy or the church. See Ezekiel 9, 1 through 9, 1 Peter 1, uh, 4, 17. I wonder if Ananias and Sapphira in the early church in the book of Acts, chapter 5, may not have had a warning dream or a vision about God's judgment coming on them before they lied to the Holy Spirit and dropped dead in the house of God. Bible does say that God warns his people in dreams and visions of the night. And remember, God is so merciful, it's his nature. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked repent. God always wants to lead us and guide us. God doesn't get excited when the enemy takes us out. He's grieved. Jesus died on the cross so that we might have life. So he perpetually visits us. He perpetually brings people across our path. He perpetually tries to do the GPS, God's positioning system. Recalculating, recalculating, make a U-turn, repent, get back on track. So he's merciful. You know, we can't just interpret our dreams based upon signs and symbols in Scripture. We need the Holy Spirit illumination of those signs and symbols in Scripture. A friend of mine you know, sent me a book on you know, how to interpret dreams. And I read it and it had all these amazing signs and symbols. And I'm thinking, this is really great, but it doesn't replace the Holy Spirit illuminating what those mean. 
as we get ready to close, I want to share this. If a person had had a history with law enforcement, where every time they ran into law enforcement, they were rescuers. Let's say their daughter had been you know, kidnapped and they knocked on the door. And as they knocked on the door, they had found the daughter and they restored the daughter. Now, if that person had an experience where law enforcement showed up in their life, that would be indicative of something good, protection and restoration, this and that. But if somebody, every time the law enforcement showed up to them because they'd been bad, kept arresting them, taking them to jail, you know, this and that, or they showed up because there was domestic violence, they had a dream about law enforcement based upon their life, it would be a completely different thing. So we have to be careful that when there's extra biblical symbols given in a dream. So there's biblical symbols, sword, word, bread, staff, fire, oil. Those are biblical symbols. But when they're extra biblical symbols, jet airplanes, rocket ships, cell phones, smart, you know, iPad, that's not in the Bible. They're extra biblical, okay? So we wanna make sure that we don't interpret somebody else's dream based upon our experience because we could be dead wrong. We have to interpret only by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11 says this as we're closing. It says, we don't want to judge by the hearing of our ears or the seeing of our eyes, but we want to judge by what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. So as we close, I'm going to ask that the Lord will give the sevenfold Spirit of God from Isaiah 11, 2, and 3 to you and to me, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, and the Holy Spirit would illuminate and give us the spirit of knowledge and wisdom and might and a quick understanding of the Lord that we would have interpretation so that we would have a revelation from the Lord by dream. We would go then be drawn into his presence and seek him for interpretation. And then he would give us wisdom on application and timing. Revelation, first component comes from God or from having too much pizza and anchovies before bed, right? Sometimes you have pizza dreams, throw them out, right? Or put them on the shelf. So revelation component one, God draws us in interpretation based upon the word of God and the Holy Spirit illumination. And then we ask him for wisdom for application and timing. Revelation, interpretation, application with timing. Is that helpful? Three components of a prophetic word. Is it God? This revelation, is it God? If so, go to component two. God, I need interpretation. What's this mean? Oh, that's amazing. What do I do with it? Give me wisdom, application, and timing. Illustration, guy's praying for somebody and he sees a candle burning brightly over his head. That's revelation. Is it God? He said, God, what's this mean? He says, just tell him what I showed you. Okay. He says, I had a film clip vision. As I was praying for you, you had a candle burning brightly over your head. He says, I don't know if that means anything to you. The guy says, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm supposed to take the job at the candle factory. This is confirmation. (laughs) Who would know? See, you don't have to have it all. You just have to have what you get. And if you don't get more, don't prophesy beyond what God has given you. And don't interpret what God has shown you if you don't have an interpretation. Simply share lovingly with the person what you received. And guess what? They hear from God too. You don't have a patent on it. You don't have a license on it. Because God does speak now one way, now another Though man may not perceive it in a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds. And he does it oftentimes because he's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. That includes believer and non-believer. And the reason he does it to the non-believer is so that he can secret you in there as the believer to interpret and help win them to Jehovah God that died on the cross for them and dreams and visions enable you to be positioned for an evangelistic moment.
to impact somebody with the love of God, not his justice, but his mercy and his grace, giving them something they don't deserve because you got something you didn't deserve and I got something I didn't deserve. Let's close in prayer. We also have a womenofroyaltyconference.com. My wife is doing April 29th and 30th in Orlando, Florida. It is going to be powerful. It's two days. Womenofroyaltyconference.com. Please go check that out. Uh, I'm one of the speakers, and we have people flying in from around the nation. You will not regret. And so, yeah, let me go flip this up here. There you go. So there's, and that's it. And there's a QR tag you can scan. Oh, 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 gotta go back. Ah, freeze it. Ah, scan. Womenofroyaltyconference.com. But let's pray. I want to have this impartation. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Give us an outpouring of dreams and visions and give us a desire to seek you for interpretation and application. We thank you for an outpouring of revelation in dreams and visions. We thank you that we can go directly to the CEO, Jesus himself, on the top floor in the penthouse because we repent and we return to the penthouse with you. We get an audience with you to receive mercy and grace in the time of need at the throne of grace. So we thank you for revelation that you visit us with, an invitation so we might have interpretation (coughs) and wisdom by the Holy Spirit for application and timing how to walk it out or walk away from it if need be. And we thank you for the sevenfold Spirit of God from Isaiah 11, 2 and 3 where you pour out the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and might and a quick understanding of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it is so simple. The gift is free and that's what makes it so simple and also makes it difficult because he bought you to set you free. And he paid infinitely more than anyone else was willing to pay to bring you into bondage. He paid the ultimate price on Calvary's tree for you and me. If you want that Savior, just invite him in. Just say, come in. I want my emancipation papers. I want to be free from all this stuff. And I want to follow you because you paid for me. I'll serve you and follow you the rest of my life. Amen and amen. We'll we'll see you next week. God bless you. Visit us on virtualchurchmedia.com. If you've never partnered with us, please pray and obey. Virtualchurchmedia.com. Help pay it forward. God bless you. I'm David. It's my lovely wife, Joanna. That's right. There's the hands. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Amen.